Welcome to Flunking the Written, a fully spoiled Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast in which two Uber fans break down every episode of the show. Join Kimberly and Megan every Tuesday as they overanalyze each scene and discuss the Buffyverse at large. Now let's meet up with the Scoobies and get into this week's episode of Flunking the Written. What can I say? I flunked the Written. Kim, Ted, your most favoritest episode uh, is written by David Greenwald and Joss Whedon and directed by Bruce Seth Green. The blurb mm-hmm. is when Buffy's mother is romanced by a computer software salesman named Ted, Buffy's uneasy feelings cause her to launch a background investigation. That is actually a really good blurb. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> That does not give away, like, literally everything like they usually do. That blurb may be better than the episode. Um, <laughs> how did you feel, just just a quick little how we feel about the episode, how did you feel going into it this time and watching it this time? I remember this as being my least favorite Buffy episode out of all of them. Mm-hmm. I've never liked this one. It just, it's so cliched. <laughs> With all the, everything that happens that I'm just like, I wasn't looking forward to watching it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite as bad as I remembered it, but it, it's still not good. Yeah. So <laughs> for me, the the Ted stuff is about as bad as I remember the Ted stuff. But the yeah. not Ted stuff was way worse than I ever remembered it. And basically the not Ted stuff is the Giles and Jenny stuff. So that's going to be some interesting talking points because I didn't even really think about the Giles and Jenny stuff in this episode. Well, I didn't even remember that this was the Giles and Jenny episode where they kind of get back together. Reconciled, yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. um, In my head, I had remembered it as the episode like immediately before her death, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they reconcile twice because they have to reconcile after the Dark Age and everything that happens with the possession and then they reconcile again when it's revealed that Jenny is part of the oh, Gypsy yep. clan. So that is what I was thinking about. Yeah. There's the That's fallout with Giles about. and then later there's the fallout with Jenny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about the fallout with Jenny. Yeah. Because when that happened when I was watching it last night, I was like, I thought this didn't happen until right before she died. Mm-hmm. And then I just didn't think about it again. Um, I just figured I was wrong, but you are completely right. And I don't know how I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's a very on again, off again (laughs) relationship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was very interesting reading the script before I watched it this time. Because, you know, I've never done that before. Mm -hmm. Though that made it uh, pretty interesting. So I'll be sharing some stuff with that as we go through. Nothing really major, but just some interesting things. Mm-hmm. I'm wanna, I'm curious about like descriptions in the script because the s- descriptions are always interesting to me. So I'm hoping there's at least one good description in there that you have to share. There is a description <laughs> and I'm looking forward to sharing it because it is not accurate. <laughs> All right, so we start with Xander, Willow, and Buffy, and they are walking down the street. Uh, Xander and Willow are arguing about the Captain and Tennille, and and Xander asks Buffy who who, uh, has the real power, and Buffy is not invested in the conversation or these people at all. (laughs) No, yeah. 
Which Sandra replies uh, that she was raised in a culture-free environment. They do clear up the Order of Taraka mm-hmm. assassins, where um, Angel Buffy says that Angel says that the contract is off. So mm-hmm. we had uh, talked about that last yeah. time. Yeah, it's a throwaway line that you could miss if you like sneezed, but it does it does at least kind of explain that away. And uh, there's a nice callback to uh, School Hard when Xander jinx everybody real bad at the beginning of the episode, and then you have Spike's arrival, and then. Xander recognizes that he's jinxing everybody real bad at the beginning of this episode, so... (laughs) Yeah. Yes, yes. He's learning. (laughs) Maybe not in the ways I want him to learn, but he is learning. (laughs) He is learning. They get to the house, and uh, the door kind of opens, and so Buffy goes in, kind of looking around, and tells Xander and Willow to wait outside. And she walks in, and hears her mom yell no, so she runs into the kitchen and finds her mom making out with someone. I already have a problem with this. Not what you want to see. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing, the, the no... The shout of no and the intensity of which they are kissing. Yeah. When she enters. And the amount of time that's in between those two does not make any sense. Like, Buffy hears no. And it is definitely like an exasperated no. And then like runs in and sees her mom kissing this man. And it's just, it doesn't match in my mind (laughs) how on earth that could be done in any way that isn't horrible. But the the way that Ted is presenting himself to Joyce is like the the perfect husband material. So I just don't know if she's already on like a cookie drug. And so like he forced a kiss when she wasn't prepared for a kiss and it was okay. I don't know. Or if it was just poor editing. It's mostly probably just poor editing. Um, well, in the, the script, the no is supposed to be her yelling when she drops the wine glass. Uh-huh. But yeah. the way it has it described here is she says no, and you hear a crash, and Buffy runs. And as Buffy's running, we hear Joyce, and this is the script, this part was cut out of the episode. We hear Joyce say, what are you, no, don't. Oh, Okay, so they even then more emphasize Buffy bursts in the weird potential consent issue because this entire episode yes. is a consent issue. Um, oh, it's a 100%. robot. It's a robot, so doesn't necessarily apply because it doesn't have a consciousness the way that a human would. But well, I mean, I could see that if the robot was the victim, but the robot's not the victim, so I think consent does completely still apply. I guess I guess my point is a robot wouldn't have the same morality as a human would. Um, oh, okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, so, I get what you're saying. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to follow the same rules because uh, it's, you know, he mentions, oh, I'm not wired that way. You know, they're wired yeah. a certain way to believe certain things. And so to, to a robot that the consent is a non-issue But Mm -hmm. the entire thing is literally everybody is um, violated by the the laced um, food items that they eat. And that's why it becomes a major consent issue. I had forgotten about the the food items. Yeah. And to start it out with Joyce shouting no as she's being, you know, it doesn't feel like a sexual aggression because we don't, they seem to be mutually enjoying the kiss when Buffy enters. But the stuff that sets the stage before that makes it feel like right. it's and an aggressive you, act. If they had left these lines in, it would seem even more that way. Mm-hmm. So it does seem like that's what they were going for. And then this stuff got cut out. Yeah. I will, I'm going to point out the description of 
Ted in the script. He is incredibly handsome and very muscular and athletic. (laughs) Which is not the actual person they got to play him. I mean, the person they have to play him is very much a generic middle-aged dad type person. Yeah. Uh, But apparently he was supposed to be like a model hunk type guy. I don't know about you, Kim, but when I think of like model hunks, John Ritter is the first name that comes to mind. (laughs) Oh, well, never mind then. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I, I don't know if they decided to change the person or if they just that's the only person they could find to play i don't know i will say as far as creep factor as far as like legitimately makes me cringe and like uncomfortable john ritter did a fantastic job playing he really did (laughs) he very much played the creepy boyfriend that is dating mom yeah but it like, is it is also that hard like separation, right? Because you're so used to yeah. seeing John Ritter in another role. So that's yeah. He does it so well that at first he's playing the I'm dating mom and trying to befriend her kid and going completely overboard uh-huh. and too too far. Then he moves slowly into the creepy guy dating mom, and then he moves straight into the psychotic serial killer with both mom and kid. Oh, yeah. Like, he does all three well, and and he's good in this role. Mm -hmm. Very good. So, Joyce introduces Buffy and Ted to each other, and then we cut to the theme song. And when we come back, everyone's in the kitchen, and Ted is cooking mini pizzas for Xander and Willow while Buffy talks to her mom. And is basically like, what the heck, mom? Yeah. And Joyce is explaining she's been dating this guy and didn't know how to tell Buffy. And as far as, this I think is the only person Joyce ever dates, right? Yeah, she she is starting to date somebody right before she dies. Yeah, she, she goes on a date. Yeah. Like in season five, right? before what happens but she never we never meet as far as seeing someone like in like in a relationship yeah i hope that she had many fantastic dates and nights out during buffy's first year of college where buffy just kind of ignored her mother the entire time i hope she just had a night on the town every night and just lived up life big she deserves it so yeah buffy's upset and uh very visibly so asks about you know how they met and joyce explains that he's with a software company and helped with their system at the gallery and Buffy's just like oh great so now you have all this free time to meet new people and smooch them in my kitchen in which my notes I say I'm pretty sure it's Joyce's kitchen yeah (laughs) but you know (laughs) she says that a lot we talks about my house yeah which I know is to counter Ted saying that it's his house which is even Mm -hmm. worse than Buffy saying that it's her house but neither of them are correct Yeah, and it it, is, it doesn't really matter a whole lot, except this mm-hmm. one's the only one that feels... This one's the one that feels petty. That, that, that's yeah, like, like it's not supposed to be there. Yeah. yeah. And then we cut in, and Ted's talking to Willow about computer stuff, and Willow's mm-hmm. all excited about her new 9-gig hard drive. Yes. <laughs> Boy, times have changed. And oh, also, 9-gig yeah. seems like a really weird number. Um, <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> And um, there's some upgrades that Ted can get her for free. And she gets so excited. (laughs) Allison Hannigan's sound that she makes (laughs) 
is just her excited sound. It's just everything. And the fact that Xander just so casually explains what the sound means is just Mm -hmm. the cutest little beat. I get the demos for free. I don't see why I shouldn't give them to you for the same price. Any friend of Buffy's? (laughs) What? That's the sound she makes when she's speechless with geek or joy. The way to Willow's heart is free computer stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Free computer upgrades. Then uh, Xander is raving about the pizzas, little mini pizzas. (laughs) That's the exact word choice I used as well. (laughs) Raving, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's raving about the mini pizzas and how good they are. And Ted tells him, you know, this is how I do it. And Buffy comes in and he asks her if she's hungry. And she kind of, she doesn't know him yet. And I can see her being annoyed that mom was dating someone that she didn't tell her. But the way that Buffy acts in this scene is very petty. Mm-hmm. I get she's a child of divorced parents and mom's dating someone new and she had a shock, but it is very petty, especially given that at this point she doesn't know that, you know, something's wrong with him. Yeah. But she refuses to eat it and just kind of stares at the table, refusing to look at him or talk to him or anything. And he starts talking to her about how fond he is of her mother and how important Buffy is to her. And he says, well, gosh, that makes you pretty important to me, too. And that part, I feel like was a little condescending Mm -hmm. and notice that i'm going to be pointing this out a lot there are a lot of times during this episode where ted talks to her like she's five Mm -hmm. instead of 16 and it's kind of irritating to me yes well (laughs) and i'm going to point all of those out by the way yeah there's a lot there's a lot that with ted being a robot there's a lot of like intentional choices on having him have like repeated phrases and repeated ways of which he talks to people. He kind of talks to everybody the same, but Buffy is not under the spell. So it feels particularly bad when he addresses Buffy in that way because the other people don't react the same way or don't offer the same, I guess, uh, the maturity that Buffy does. And we talked about Buffy being petty, but Buffy is approaching this from a perspective of... I I don't know you and you were just in here kissing my mom and I've never met you before. So I kind of understand that initial shock and the pettiness that comes immediately. And obviously I understand it as it progresses and Ted gets weirder and weirder. And especially once he threatens her, then yeah. um, (laughs) All bets are off. All bets are off at that point. But I think if you really pay attention, Ted talks down to everybody and especially Joyce. Um, Oh yeah, he talks down to Joyce big time. And it's... The way that people are so accepting of it because of the way that they are drugged, you particularly notice it with Buffy. But you're also, yeah. as as a person viewing the show, you tend to watch it from Buffy's point of view. She's the main character. She's the one that you're most emotionally attached to. And so you tend to experience everybody through her experiences more so than anybody else's. And... Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, that condescending nature that he has with Buffy is really the way he's programmed with everybody. And it's just partly archaic because of when he was designed and partly just the the misogyny that went into him based on the person who created him. It becomes this thing where he, he talks to everybody as if they're a child. And I don't know, like I said, I don't really have fully formed thoughts yet on how I feel about this concept other than it feels like, like just an egregious way to tell a story that we all already know, that we don't really need to revisit. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, 
we can all understand that there are ways of manipulation and gaslighting and controlling people out there. and That aren't necessarily supernatural. Yeah. And I feel like this episode is... Well, one, I feel like it, it doesn't really do anything for any of the characters. It doesn't, other than like Giles and Jenny and kind of getting their relationship back up, it doesn't do anything to develop anybody. My big issues with this episode is that it makes me not like Xander. Like, oh. This is one of the episodes I have a serious problem with Xander with. There are others, yeah. but this is one of them, and I just know. Mm -hmm. On an unrelated note, unrelated to my issue with Xander in this episode, it does kind of establish him and Cordelia as a thing. Yeah. Even though no one knows yet. And it's also, I noticed, and I've got this in my notes later, it's kind of the first episode where Cordelia is just kind of randomly hanging out with them. Because... All the other episodes, there was kind of a reason. Like, she would get pulled in for some reason or another, or was in the wrong place at the wrong time and ended up mm -hmm. doing something with them. But yeah, this like one, at the end of she's the just episode, hanging out. At the end of the episode, they're just walking down the hall together, yeah. Yeah, no, she's just hanging out. Yeah, there's nothing going on other than they're reflecting on the experience with Ted, and she might have just been curious, but she's genuinely just, she likes these people and she wants to hang out with them. Uh, right, and earlier in the episode, she's in the library with them, and there's no reason for that. Like, there's no reason for her to be there. It didn't, it's just kind of like a scene opens and everyone's in the library like they usually are. And Cordelia's been added. Yeah. And always before, as far as I know, I could be wrong. I think always before there was some kind of connection or reason that she would do it. Or she'd come in the library looking for a book or come in the library to do this, mm -hmm. you know. There's been a couple of like moments where she has been pulled in to help with something going on. And we didn't really see the context in which she was pulled in. Like when she's whittling but we stakes would, and stuff like that. We, but the whittling stakes thing, she already knew about the situation and was helping. Yeah. This one... She's just, I don't know, I see it as different. She's just there for no reason at all that you can tell. I, I read the library scene as she was there because of what happened with Buffy and, and Ted. And that they were trying to explore that further and see. Possibly. See what exactly happened. But yeah. she is definitely like showing more signs of just wanting to be part of the gang. But I don't think if you had removed this episode and jumped to another one that I feel like I would have missed out on Cordelia becoming part of the gang. You know, I think she's already established herself enough at this point and doesn't do enough extra in this episode to make me feel like skipping it would make me feel like, oh, well, Cordelia doesn't belong with these people. Well, and see, that's kind of what I'm saying. They're not really, they didn't really address it it just kind of happened yeah but i think the thing about this episode is it is one of the most isolated episodes other than giles and jenny getting back together it is so very skippable oh yeah the only the only continuity in this episode is the giles and jenny relationship and stuff and then the order of taraka yeah cleaning that thing up. being contract being canceled that's it yeah like and yeah. so i think they they have like one comment earlier about Spike and Drusilla possibly being dead yeah. early on in the episode. There's that. And I mean, yeah. So not only is it a hard episode to watch because the subject material isn't particularly fun to watch, there's different layers of it, but it's not fun to watch a misogynist get possessive and controlling over everybody in his life. And it's not fun to watch Buffy go through a, a crazy depressive state where she thinks she's killed a person. 
And then to have that in an episode that really doesn't have much of anything else going on for it. It's not an episode that I have any real desire to revisit ever because there's nothing there's nothing here pulling me back. And I don't necessarily begrudge some of the ideas that went into this episode other than the fact that they didn't do enough with the, the stuff that I thought was more interesting. I think by the time that Buffy has her um, moment where she thinks she's killed him. I mm-hmm. think us as an audience already have enough evidence to feel very comfortable in knowing that he's going to come back as some kind of bad guy. We may have not figured out robot, but like... We figured out something's we going figure, on. He, he, you know, he doesn't just feel like a show that would have just like a creepy guy who is just there to threaten Buffy until she loses control and then pushes him down the stairs and that's the story they're going for so i feel like the twist of her thinking that she kills him i think as an audience there's already enough evidence in place to know oh this is a fake out yeah (laughs) like i don't think i've ever seen anybody watch this episode or talked with anybody who's watched this episode for the first time where they were genuinely like yeah no buffy killed a person in in this moment i think they're just like something's going on (laughs) So yeah, after Buffy and Ted have that little conversation, um, Buffy says that she's okay, and then we immediately cut to her just beating a vampire so intensely, so enthusiastically just beating up this vampire while Giles kind of just encourages her to go ahead and just stake him already, and then finally sits down and waits patiently for her to finish. (laughs) She eventually does it. And then uh, walks up to him and says, any others? And Giles is like, I hope not. Because what? That's my job. I kill vampires. A little bit later, she says, vampires are creeps. And Giles, I love his reply. He says, yes, that's why one slays them. I just wrote in my notes. I was like, hello, you're dating one. But yeah, she's there and she starts venting about vampires and how they're the worst. And it almost immediately turns into her venting about Ted and how he's the worst. And then yeah. we get this line that is just, I mean, Joss Whedon to a T. I believe the uh, subtext here is is rapidly becoming uh, (coughs) a text. I don't think there's any sentence in all of Joss Whedon's creations that so perfectly sums up Joss Whedon's creations. Uh. Oh, yes. 100%. Which, I watched some Firefly last night, so I'm very much... <laughs> yeah. there's there. That is a very good sum up of his creations. <laughs> so Buffy asks if there will be more vampires and says she's willing to wait for them. Mm-hmm. But every now and again through the series, we get this... Uh, side of Buffy where she she like relishes the kill more than normal and she really enjoys the prospect of just welling on some vamps to, yeah, <laughs> yeah to, as yeah. therapy for her yeah as a catharsis for her she just wants to go and beat them up and uh <laughs> <laughs> for a while there um the very willing participant in that is spike but in these early the early seasons she's just picking up random vampires and beating them up and then staking them and then wanting to find another vampire to beat up and stake so now i feel like maybe that's why she didn't stake spike because she was just like oh i have a permanent punching bag here that i can use anytime <laughs> and i don't have well, to wait for a vampire to show up this is great <laughs> it's true <laughs> so we cut to the school and Xander is still going on about Ted's mini pizzas. Yeah, he's a little obsessed. <laughs> so when they're talking and Buffy's just kind of being anti-Ted, Willow's like, you don't like him. And Buffy says that, you know, he's just too clean. This clown is too clean. And Willow is giddy again. Willow's just super giddy 
and just enjoying life in this episode. And I think it's because yeah, she, she really just, is. I think it's because she just met Oz. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go with that theory. <laughs> She's just got the bubbly glow of I just met a guy who I really really like. Um, I wonder. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't connect that. But it, yeah, very much might be. It could also be that she's basically on ecstasy for a good part of this episode, too. But, you know, uh, Xander uh, starts talking about Sigmund Freud. And I'm like, when did Xander start paying attention in class? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he has all these insights now, including a little dance he does while singing You're Having Parental Issues, which is weird. It's weird. <laughs> I mean... Here's my thing. Understanding Xander and the amount of parental issues that he has, one would assume that he would be more sensitive to something like this. But also, Xander's main defense mechanism for anything like this is comedy. So it kind of makes perfect sense to me that he's just like, oh, here's someone who also is having issues with their parents right now. And instead of being like, hey, I get it. And I, you know, can like sympathize with you on that front. I'm just going to do a little wacky dance because I don't know how to deal with how bad my parents are. (laughs) Yeah, I do not like Xander in the scene. He basically refuses to listen to Buffy the entire time. And then he does something which just as a friend is almost unforgivable at the end. Mm Mm-hmm. They keep talking and Buffy keeps trying to convince them that something's wrong with Ted. And they keep trying to tell her she just doesn't like him because he's dating her mom. Or trying to tell her that. Mm-hmm. And then Ted comes up behind her. And he has a valid excuse for being there where he's updating the software in the guidance office. But it's weird. Oh, yeah. That he is at her school. Yeah. Like, really inappropriate. And honestly, in the situation that they are in... He should have never approached her there. Yeah. It was very much a mistake. Well, and here's my thing is I'm trying to figure out the programming reason for this. Because I feel like Ted the robot's ultimate goal is to get rid of Buffy. He doesn't want Buffy. He wants Joyce. He wants his replacement wife. He doesn't care about Buffy. Buffy is to be removed from the equation. So the only reason that he would be here is to earn Buffy's trust, right? To invite her to a fun thing that they can do together and Mm -hmm. to get her kind of to trust him more. to, To like trap her into this situation where she feels like she has to agree to go on this outing so that he can incorporate her into this plan that doesn't involve her like it just doesn't make sense why why he's putting effort into something like mini golf with Buffy and her friends when ultimately he doesn't want Buffy yeah I just always kind of thought at the beginning maybe he thinks he can make it work with Buffy too it's and then realizes later he possible, can't. I just but don't I just know. don't think like a robot would process things that way. Although when we get kind of to the end, when we talk about what Ted's eventual plan was, I have all kinds of notes because <laughs> there is absolutely no way this in any universe that this plan would have worked. Yeah. And I actually don't know how it worked the other times that he did it. Yeah. So there's a lot to talk about there. Yeah. So anyway, Buffy and Willow are kind of coming up with an excuse of not to go. They have a thing. And this is when Xander chooses to ignore his friends in favor of more laced goods. <laughs> yes. Um, and this is this is not okay. Yeah. Buffy has already told him she doesn't like Ted. She feels uncomfortable around Ted. 
he knows she doesn't want to hang out with him. She's made this excuse to not. Mm -hmm. And then he totally throws her under the bus. Yeah. And I I don't know why, but this annoys me more than some of the other things Xander does. Well, and I think... Xander knows better than this. Yeah. I think it's annoying for two reasons. One, it's annoying for what we already talked about is the idea of Xander knows what it's like for people who don't want to be around their parental figures. Like, he doesn't want to do things with his parents. So, like, he should honor Buffy having that same request. He should he should definitely follow that based on his own personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there might be a way to explain it in a way that he's still feeling the effects of the the stuff that's all like yay pro ted because it doesn't really make sense the the whatever he's the thing is though you know xander ate like eight times more of those pizzas than willow did true (laughs) like xander eats large quantities of food The drug itself doesn't really make sense. Because it's really just meant to, like, mellow people out, is the way that they explain it. It's just kind of a tranquilizer. It makes you mellow. It kind of makes you happy. But it shouldn't make you specifically pro-Ted, unless there's something in there. It almost acts like it hypnotizes them in a way that they don't understand any other consequences or perspectives other than what ted says it almost acts like mind control but that's not really the way it's explained so it's hard to use that as a scapegoat for xander in this scene because it shouldn't work that way but it's especially hard later on when buffy and joyce have a conversation like this drug makes no sense so xander throws them under the bus and they end up scheduling to go do mini golf and this is when we get our first giles and jenny scene yes which i kind of like Jenny in this scene. I like how she advocates for herself. Yes. Even though I wish it wasn't against Giles. So here's my thing. Because I love Giles. I'm but- so pro-Jenny in this scene and so anti-Jenny after this scene. Well, because she advocates for herself really well and for what she needs and for what she wants. And then she just kind of throws it all away. Yeah. And- I'm like, oh, I didn't really mean that, Ugh. you know? And here's my issue with this. My big, big issue is that <clears throat> this is happening in the same episode where your main plot is involving a misogynistic robot. And here you have this storyline of bringing Giles and Ginny back together where Ginny is just like, I need more time because of the consequences of something you chose to do a long time ago, you know, but still you chose and this is the consequences and you're not giving me the space that I need. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. That's wonderful. But then Giles leaves and he leaves all like sad Sad. and dejected. And then you have this shot of Ginny and it looks like she feels like she did something wrong for not being okay with... Spending time yet with the man who was responsible for her being possessed and violated. And it's just so infuriating. (laughs) I'm I'm with you 100% on that. Yes. I love that they have this first moment. And if they had stuck with this, I think it would have made more sense for the episode. Well, they could have done this scene in this episode and then, like, the next episode done the scene in the graveyard. Yeah, started to, you know. But having the reconciliation and the backpedal that Jenny does, where, like, later she Mm -hmm. goes and apologizes because... Yeah, she she doesn't do do anything in the scene that she needs to apologize for. Yeah, it's not, but... um, And, I mean, he doesn't really either... Yeah. Because he's checking on her. Now, 
if after this scene he waited like a day and went back again, then he would need to. He has mm-hmm. done something he needs to apologize for. Yes, but just in this scene, they're both doing what they feel they should do, telling each other, "This yes. is what I'm doing." And it's okay. Yeah. And as as adults, they should both recognize each other's needs, but also not necessarily feel like they have to compensate for each other. And I think the issue is, yeah. is that we have a situation where Jenny, who is the victim in this specific scenario, is in a way apologizing to Giles, who however indirectly may be, is the is the person who caused her harm and you have this in an episode that is literally about a robot who is constantly kidnapping women to be his replacement wife yeah (laughs) it's just it's just bad timing um (laughs) but the line that just makes me so happy and makes me so angry because of the way that it backpedals after this you make me feel bad that i don't feel better I don't want that responsibility. It's so good. And it's perfect. Yes. That is such a good way to encapsulate going through something like that. And she should not apologize. Yes. And she does. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. I I don't like it either. Mm. So we have that scene. And then the next one is in Angel's apartment at night. And it's Buffy and him kind of just hanging out together. And she's, uh changing the bandage on his hand where he like the knife went through and she is rambling on and on and on about Ted (laughs) and they kind of start Angel kind of starts talking like are you going to talk about anything else or just Ted all night Buffy says that she doesn't want him in her life and Angel makes a very wise point that maybe your mom needs a guy in her life yes I like the line where Angel says that loneliness is about the scariest thing in life specifically coming from Angel because he experienced Mm -hmm. like a hundred years of that Um, yeah a hundred years of being alone yeah i don't know if it works well in this episode (laughs) as like a a statement to be said because i think in both relationships that are the featured relationships both joyce and ted and giles and jenny i think both of them would have been better off being alone a little bit longer (laughs) yeah i agree Uh, or ted could just stay alone i mean (laughs) (laughs) Then they, she tells him she'll give Chet, Ted a chance, and they end the scene with making out. Yes, there is a bit here that okay. would definitely not happen later in the series, but there is a bit here where Angel asks if there's somebody that Buffy would prefer, and she says, "My dad." And we, yeah, talked, it's very classic. Yeah, we've talked about this it's a classic. little bit. Is that the fact that Buffy's relationship with her father kind of degrades as the series progresses? Well, and I think in season five, when they do the whole key thing, yes, they make the relationship with the father different. Yes, and I think that that's a big part of it because I think after that, that feels like the real turning point. There's like mm-hmm. a moment in season three, I think, where he fails to come to something with Buffy. Um, and that's birthday. kind, kind yeah. of there. The, he still sends yeah. a giant bouquet. Yeah, and he's still, to it's still indicated that like they still have a relationship. Whereas, right, but in season, yeah. after the key stuff happens in season five, like she can't even get a hold of him. Yeah. He's gone. Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't come back when Joyce dies to be with his Yeah, he doesn't daughters. even return calls. Yeah, and I think the key changed yeah. that. Like they changed that. Yeah, the timeline, the retcon that they did. But yeah, I've talked about the uh, the sad timeline 
timeline of Hank and how Hank seems like in the very first couple appearances like a genuinely good nice dad and then it just gets worse and worse as the series progresses but here we still have a moment where Buffy's just like well we don't actually see him again till season six right and then it's just a dream yeah I don't yeah I don't remember his next appearance exactly but we don't ever see real legitimate Hank again okay yeah I didn't think so and then we're playing miniature golf which I'm just going to point out real quick because I know I talk about it all the time, but Buffy is dressed for a different season than the other people are again. Okay. You've had your moment. <laughs> yeah. You always. I'm, I'm going to point that. I'm going to always point that out. <laughs> so they're discussing the picnic and how good it is. And Ted has this comment that is very creepy. I don't think it was supposed to be. Like, I don't think the writers put it in to be creepy. But Ted says, so Buffy, I'm sure the boys are lined up around the block trying to get a date with you. Yeah, I... I find I find that a creepy thing for yeah. mom's boyfriend to say to a teenage yeah. girl. I mean, I know it used to be really common. Yeah, it is thing a to say, very but... common thing that people don't, I don't think, thought about the way that we're thinking about it today. Um, and exactly. That's why I don't think the writers did yeah. it on purpose. But it's one it of those that I noted as well, is that it is kind of one of those weird, intended as a compliment, but is actually like a sexualization of this teenage girl. Yes. Uh, and it's real creepy. Buffy says no, and Willow is like, <laughs> yeah, they are. But she's only interested in uh, her studies. Bookcracker Buffy, it's kind of her nickname. Ted again says something that's inappropriate for him to say. He says that I bet that means your grades will be picking up soon. This is the thing that I don't understand how this drug works that he's feeding them. Mm -hmm. Because like, there are so many red flags in all of this for me watching. And it's, yeah. it's, it, it's infuriating as a viewer to watch this and be like, I am totally on Buffy's side and then nobody else seems to be reacting to it. But I, th then they have the drug. I was like, oh, that explains everything away. But I was just like, I don't think it does. Well, not even, I just, even the point. I mean, does the drug make them forget? Not Joyce, because, you know, she doesn't know. But make everyone else in this episode forget that Buffy is the Slayer and she's usually right about these things? Yeah, like, I just... You know, why are you not listening to her? Yeah, her, her instincts have proven time and time again that she just kind of knows when someone isn't to be trusted. And it, it's so frustrating to watch because the, the stuff that they explain it away with doesn't make sense. Because literally all they say is it's meant to, like, tranquilize them a little bit, right? It's just mm -hmm. a tranquilizer is basically what it is. Shares well, I mean, some similarities with ecstasy, but isn't mind control, isn't changing their, like, brainwaves to the point where they don't remember things anymore or anything like that. I just don't. Right, but it kind of ended up changing Xander's personality a little bit later. Yeah. You know? I think this is the issue with it adding something that's supposed to be purely scientific into this magical world. Because if it was mind control, and if it was magic-based mind control, then I'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But it's it's not framed as if it's mind control. It's framed as if it's just a chemical drug to, you know, make people not mm -hmm. second-guess stuff as much. But And make them happy. Yeah, make compliant. them happy. But it 
wouldn't really work that way. And it certainly wouldn't work that way across the board because the, the big issue, I think, anytime you use drug as a way of manipulating people is that people react to drugs differently. Yeah, true. <laughs> and I think that's um, always ignored in TV. It just becomes like a yeah. hive mind instead of the way that drugs actually work, which is vastly different depending on your chemical makeup. Yeah, and after this conversation about the grades... There is a scene where Joyce is preparing to take her turn. This is cut out of the episode, mm -hmm. but it's in the script. Joyce is preparing to take her turn, and Ted comes up behind her and holds her arms from behind and swings with her to help her do it. You know what I'm talking about. We've all yeah. seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And they hit the ball together, and Ted tells her, perfect. And she says, thanks to you. <laughs> and they both giggle. And then we go to Buffy's turn. But I just wanted to put that in there because it was very. Uh, <laughs> oh my! I God. think it would have. I oh think it would have worked perfectly with the the episode if they had left it in. And I can only assume that they took it out for time. I just realized that Ted and Captain Hammer are basically the same character. <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh, oh, they so are. <laughs> Okay, when you said that thanks to you, I was just like, thanks to me. And I was like, oh my god. I didn't even, oh my goodness. And they have the same hair. <laughs> well, after that epiphany. Yeah. So Buffy takes her shot and just whiffs it real good. And... Joyce is just like, oh, it's we'll just let her reshoot. And this is when Ted goes on this big rant. What we teach her is what she takes into the world when we're not there. Mm -hmm. Whether yeah. it's at school or an unchaperoned party. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, that's not something that, why would you say that? Yeah. Like, it's just. I have three kids and I've never said anything similar than that. So that. much. It's not even his place, but even as a parent, like, yeah. someone says that. Yeah. You know, that's like, it's so after school specially <laughs> that I, I don't, I don't even know. Didn't know you were going to get this whole, like, philosophical lesson about mini golf. But then, like, Joyce is like, he has a point. And I'm just like, oh, man. You have no, been, really you've been eating way too many of his cookies. Buffy goes to hit the ball from the rough, but then decides to just cheat her way. And this I do agree with. This is a perfectly appropriate reaction from Ted. Uh, mini golf is very serious. Yeah. <laughs> and you do not cheat in that stuff. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, Ted is completely Livid. completely um just impossibly threatening to the point where he's he is hitting himself to prevent himself from hitting her in this moment um which is a weird quirk of a robot to have i guess but he is yeah. smacking himself with the golf club while he is explaining that right is right and that he's not wired that way. And he threatens to hit her. And he threatens to hit her in a really bad way. Oh, you yeah. want me to slap that smart ass mouth of yours. Yeah. Props again to John Ritter. This is awful. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller does a really good reaction. Um, oh, yeah. Her shock on her face. Like, ooh. This is intense stuff. I feel like... Watching Buffy, we first time you see this, and you see him go this severe, this quick, and you know that it's not going to be a mental imbalance or something like that. You're just like, he's a demon, he's possessed, there's something weird about this guy, and it's gonna be supernatural. Which is why I think that the her feeling like she killed him later on doesn't feel as 
heavy as it should because I think at this point, because of how severe this moment is, us as viewers knowing the context of the show and knowing the type of storylines that they tell have already framed this guy as a demon. Turns out he's a robot, but they they frame him as a demon. I'm sure a lot of people already assumed robot because there's lots of hints as well um, to robot, but I'm not sure how many people, and I would love um, if we got, got any response on this discussion for people to ex- say if they thought he was human um, and they were just going for that dark of a storyline. But I feel like, especially at this point in Buffy, this early on, I think up until this point, you could kind of maybe get away with it. But this is so extreme that you're like, nah, this guy is the villain and it's going to be something supernatural because yes. that's the show we're watching. Yeah, I think everyone probably thought that at this point. Yeah. So the the rest of the gang kind of show up and suddenly Ted is all smiles and like, hey, let's have cookies. I made a whole bunch so you can take some home with you. And Buffy's just kind of still absorbing what just happened. Yeah, I actually uh, have in my notes at this point that I wonder if the cookies and food and stuff would have worked on her if she'd ate, ate it. Because you have to assume she didn't go this long without eating. Because yeah. it's, it's been a couple of days now. And, like, it mentions more than once that the only food around is stuff that he has cooked. Mm-hmm. So, does does she not eat enough of it to work? Or does she have a natural immunity because she's the slayer? Yeah. Because she's drugged sometimes in the show. Uh-huh. You know. I don't know. I don't know. We never see her eat anything that Ted That's makes. true. And it might... We're just... We might be meant to assume that she just finds food some other place. Yeah. She eats other things. Yeah. But yeah, I am curious to do whether it would have worked on her or if she would have Slayer immunity to drugged food. Mm-hmm. I also find that it's weird that this is the only way that Ted can figure out how to drug people is through food. Like, if he if she refuses to eat, wouldn't you think that he would try some other method of drugging her? Don't give her a vitamin? I don't know. <laughs> I think that would be more suspicious. I think this is like the least suspicious way to do it. Yeah, but he also just blatantly threatens her. So I'm not sure if he's really worried about suspicion because everybody else is under his spell. <laughs> good point. Very good point. And then we have the next day and we have Joyce puttering around the kitchen and Buffy comes in and Joyce is all perky. Good morning, sunshine. She offers Buffy some sticky buns that Ted made and Buffy puts it back down very pointedly yep. and says, I, you know, I want to eat something Ted didn't make. And, uh, Joyce kind of gets on to her a little bit about her attitude. And then Buffy tells her mom that he threatened her. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what? And Buffy's like, yeah, he said he was going to slap my face. And then Joyce, oh, Joyce, Joyce, Joyce. She says, he never said any such thing. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. Nope. You just started dating this guy and you never believe. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. You do not believe the person you're dating over your child, especially when there's no evidence that your child would ha- would do this, you know? Yeah. This is would, the... Would make something like this up. This is not okay. Her reaction this is, is not, not okay. okay anyway. It's not okay. And it's the part that really makes the the drugs, like, not make sense to me at all. Because if this is being explained away with the fact that she's just giddy from an ecstasy-like drug, and it's just happy and chill, I don't, I don't think... <laughs> 
that that would be enough to prevent you from believing your daughter when she says that she has been threatened. Like later on in the episode, Xander eats a cookie and starts to feel the effects again, but bounces back pretty quickly when things get serious. And this is a serious thing. You know, I feel like this would be enough to overpower or at least not have you call your daughter out as a liar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not good. Um, Yeah, it's not at all. The drugs don't do enough to justify this in my book. (laughs) Which means that this is mom's actual reaction. Yes. And it's not okay. It's not okay. It's just not. I mean, there's yeah. <laughs> there's no way to look at this for me to believe that the drugs are enough to make her act this way. If they had added an element of, oh, this is a robot that has discovered this magical tool that will let it control minds if they consume this material, then fine. I'll be willing to accept that because that's a different level of manipulation to where Joyce really didn't have control. But it's still kind of presume that she has some of her faculties she's just real happy (laughs) and here you have Buffy point blank saying this man threatened to hit me and she calls Buffy out as a liar and I'm just like not accepting that as a viewer yeah the next scene is um Buffy talking to Xander and Willow at school and they're sitting and eating more of the cookies Mm -hmm. as they talk to her and Buffy is asking Willow to investigate him basically they are just still arguing with her about Ted and how she just wants something to be wrong with him and uh Xander at this moment actually makes excuses for him having threatened Buffy. Yes. This is another As layer. And you know, he's just uptight. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, but this is another layer of, if you look at this from the context of Xander's home life, like I become a lot more understanding, which is kind of weird. I feel like we've reversed, but I feel like I'm a lot more understanding of some of the things that Xander says here, even though they're wrong. And even though he shouldn't wish this on his friends, but this coupled with the drugs on Xander doesn't feel as terrible of a combination as as Joyce not, you know, believing her daughter when she says she's yeah, been that threatened. Was, well, I, mean, I think Xander refusing to go along with his friends when they were trying to make an excuse is worse than this. I you, you have a point that Xander just doesn't think anything is wrong with this because, you know, his home life, this is normal. Yeah. He probably gets threatened to be slapped all the time. Yeah. And the, so he's just like, okay, so he's uptight. It happens to me every day. Yeah. And the line, I can see that. The line that really like cemented that for me is when Xander says there are things in life you just have to accept. And it's such a throwaway line, but holy crap, coming from Xander and the fact that he's just accepted that his parents are terrible and abusive, it's just, that's his normal. That's his everyday, yeah. and he doesn't even really think about it the way Yeah, he's like, why are you so it? upset over this? He didn't actually do it, did he? At this point, I, I actually have in my notes again that, y'all, she's the slayer, and she's <laughs> usually right. Stop arguing with her about it. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, and Buffy says point blank, Ted is not one of those things that I have to accept. (laughs) This man threatened to hit me. That's not, that is not something. And good on her for that. At the end of this conversation, Willow offers to find out where he works for Buffy. But then Cordelia walks up and Xander says hi to her and tells her she has a nice outfit. At which point she acts very, very traditionally Cordelia-like and Xander doesn't. Yeah. She snaps at him and is like, 
keep your mouth shut and stuff. And Xander's just like, I'm just trying to give you a compliment. And uh, Cordelia walks off and Xander follows her. And I'm going to point out before we like go to Xander and Cordelia's conversation, Willow kind of looks at him confused and is like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I should point out how hyper aware she is of Xander. Oh, yeah. And uh, like everything he's doing. It persists longer than I would like to like it to. I mean, even when she's with Oz, she still has that. And it's just the worst. So it's funny because when I was first watching this, I was thinking, this isn't how Xander treats Cordelia. Even when they're like in a relationship. Yeah. This isn't how Xander really treats Cordelia. But then but I the remembered, food. yeah, he's super happy. <laughs> and he's just like, I like this girl. I like it when we smooch. So I'm going to mm-hmm. give her a compliment. <laughs> yep. And I'm just like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. He follows her and she's like, you can't be nice to me. Your friends will figure it out. And he's like, what are they going to figure out? And she says, I can't talk about it. <laughs> And then he's like, you know what? I'm not going to tell him. And you're not going to tell him. Do you want to go in the closet and make out? And she's just like, yeah, sure. This scene shows us that Cordelia and Xander are kind of a thing that not really a couple, but yeah, they're, they're make, kind of friends they're who make, make out. They're make out friends. They're um, make out friends. And this is a regular thing. Yeah. This is also, although not as bad as the other examples, but it's just... The way the way that this episode is framed and everything that's in this episode. Here you have people who aren't willing to admit they're in a relationship. And then the guy requests to make out. And then she's just like, is that all you think about? And it's just like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I don't know if I see that one as the same way as the other. No, way I don't. About the other I, two don't. I feel like it is, it is a more mutual. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, let's just says, make out. She's like, she thinks about it and she's like, yeah, kind of would like to make out. Yeah. Because I don't see Cordelia ever she is not, making out if she doesn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> you know. She is not submitting in any way to oh, no. Xander. Yeah. But it is a another situation where it's just like, ugh, man. All right, I'm going to do what he wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it it's not as egregious as the other ones but it's just another layer of this kind of theme of just like doing doing what the man wants to do mm-hmm. kind of deal and it's just it's a lot in this episode <laughs> and so the next scene is buffy sneaking into ted's work and she's not very sneaky here no nah. she's pretty obvious like i'm not surprised that He's aware she's there, even though he doesn't let her know. Because mm-hmm. she just kind of comes on in, and he's sitting there doing his thing. I mean, anytime he looked up, he could see her. He just doesn't look up. Yeah. You know? And it shows him, you know, making a sale and then going to lunch. And she talks to one of his co-workers, um, and they basically discuss, you know, how like a machine he is. Mm-hmm. And then... The co-worker mentions that he's getting married in two months to his girlfriend. Uh-huh. And she's like, uh, okay. <laughs> and she goes to his desk where he has a picture of Joyce. And she takes it out of the frame. It was actually a picture of Joyce and Buffy that had been folded to where you couldn't see Buffy. Mm-hmm. Which I actually think would have maybe have been more impactful if he had like, cut her cut Buffy out of it or something yeah I don't know how you would visually represent that the same though I I thought the same thing like why wouldn't he just cut the picture because that would make more sense but then he would have just thrown away the Buffy half she might have realized it but I don't think it would have been as clear to the audience that that's what he had done well in the script 
in the scene when they are in the kitchen, when she first meets him, he is supposed to have picked up a framed picture off the counter that is of Buffy and her mom. Yeah, it is in that scene, but they don't do the framed picture. It is just on the refrigerator. It's just right. stuck on with a magnet. So they do yeah. show that Yeah, and it would have needed to be a more, a less generic picture because this is just a picture of the two of them. Yeah. Like, that could be anywhere. It would have needed to be more specific, like, in front of a roller coaster or on the beach or something. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe wearing matching outfits and then the picture that's on his desk is her in that outfit. Like, something that made it obvious they could have done it. Yeah. Or you could have you could have also done it where she pulled it out and then ran her finger off of the edge and there was a little bit of jaggedness or two. Like there's ways that they could yeah. have done it to where it would have been cut. Which is just I mean, that's just the way that thematically yeah, reads better, right? Uh-huh. Like he is cut he's literally cutting Buffy out of their life kind of deal. Yeah. The the fold method I think was chosen specifically so it was easily communicated to the audience that that's the same picture. Yeah. So then we have Buffy and her mom and Ted at home and they're eating dinner mm-hmm. and uh, Ted is blessing the food and is very passive aggressive in his blessing toward <laughs> Buffy. <laughs> Like, opens his eyes and stares Buffy down as he says more honest. It's just the worst. Uh Well, I mean, even the words are just... Yeah. Yeah. Then they start eating and trying to have a conversation uh, about their days at work and school and about the food. And then they ask Buffy what she thinks of the food and she says it looks pretty good. Like, she's still not eating the food. Mm Mm-hmm. And Ted says, well, you know, little lady, it's not just for looking at, it's for building strong bodies. And I'm like, she's 16, not five. Like, 16, not five. He's from the 50s, Kim. Everybody talked like that in the 50s. (laughs) Really? To teenagers? Because, I mean... In the 50s, we're pretty close to becoming hippies. I'm just saying. Are we really talking to teenagers like that? Okay, so then Buffy asks him, she's just flat out, are you guys engaged? And Joyce says no, but then Ted breaks in and says, now Joyce, let me handle this. And I'm like, no, you are not her, you are not a parent. (laughs) You have just very, very recently started dating someone who is a parent. But you are not a parent. You you don't get to act like a parent. It's it's going to be, even if you stay oh, yeah. with this woman and continue dating her and get married and her daughter accepts you as part of her life, it is still three or four years into the future before you can even start to consider acting like a parent. Consider it. You know, you don't get to do this right now. Okay. Anyway, so he says... You know, he might one day, you know, ask her to marry him and how would you feel? And Buffy just kind of glares at him. And then Ted says, it's okay to have your feelings, Buffy, and it's okay to express them. And again, she is 16, not five. Mm -hmm. Or let me say seven, because my oldest is seven, and I sometimes say this to him. It's okay for you to feel this way, and it's okay for you to tell me about it. And I usually follow that with, but it's not okay to hit things. (laughs) But like, it's okay to be angry. It's not okay to hit people. Yeah. But she's 16. I'm sorry. If your 16-year-old doesn't know this yet, then you you have some more issues to deal with than just expressing feeling. Like, she should be more mature than this, and he should know that. Mm-hmm. Like, this whole dinner conversation drives me insane. 
Um, and I imagine it's particularly infuriating. Like, I get what they were going for. And I think it was to drive the viewer insane. Um, and they're doing a great job of it. But it's I imagine yeah. it's particularly infuriating for actual parents. Like, I don't have kids of my own. But if you have kids of your own and are watching this and just watching how not only Ted is treating the situation, but how Joyce is treating the situation, it's gotta be, like, the most infuriating thing. Oh, yeah. Like, if something ever happened where I had to go back into the dating world, this would never happen. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, you need to go now. I don't care how many drugs I'm on. And this is not happening. Lose my number. <laughs> you know, this is not okay. So, basically, she answers with, I feel like killing myself, and uh, Joyce sends her to her room. Which is never... Uh, also a way to react to a child saying that. <laughs> no, you... I feel like killing myself. Well, then go to your room. <laughs> like, what? Not not a good response. Oof. Okay. And then Joyce apologizes and tells Ted she's so embarrassed. There's a scene cut out here where Ted tells Joyce that she'll come around. And a little birdie's telling me it's going to be sooner rather than later. She'll come to be okay with us. And he puts a hand on her arm um, and rubs it up and down. And Joyce says, where did you come from? And Ted says, straight from the factory, just for you. (laughs) (laughs) They cut that out too, but I thought I would share. I figured you'd enjoy it. Yes. So from there, we cut to Buffy in, I think, the most endearing scene of this entire episode, where she's sitting on the park swing and calling for vampires. Vampires. I just love that. (laughs) And it's something that I don't think we've talked about like Angel being a safe place for Buffy. But when it comes to like real life crap and the stuff that she doesn't want to deal with, it's weird to think that slaying and patrolling is a comfort to her. Yeah. She gets some therapy out by beating up a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. So she has no luck finding a vampire. So she heads home and she's crawling in her window and Ted is in her room. Mm-hmm. Very inappropriate. Basically, what we're saying, so all of our listeners understand, is anything that Ted does, don't do that. <laughs> yes. If you are dating someone with children, don't do any of these things ever. Ted is um, a perfect model of what not to do. <laughs> yeah. He starts very aggressively trying to parent her. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first thought is, where's Joyce? Yeah. Like, where's Joyce while Ted is upstairs sitting in her teenage daughter's room? Mm-hmm. Like, not, because not even considering all the things that he says to Buffy, but just the idea that her boyfriend, who she's only been dating a little while, is upstairs sitting in her teenage daughter's room waiting for her to come home. Yeah. Not okay. (laughs) And we know that Joyce knows he's in the house. She might not specifically know that he's up there waiting for Buffy. I feel like she probably does, but she knows he's in the house because later she's not surprised when he's in the house. Mm-hmm. She's not even really shocked that he's upstairs with Buffy. Yeah. It um, immediately is like, Buffy, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. They kind of, they argue and it comes out that Ted has gone through all her stuff and read her diary. She gets mad. He basically says it's no different from you going to my work and basically tells her this is that everything you do is nothing but my business. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, no. Okay. 
So here's my thing. I hate I hate this robot logic. I hate this robot logic because Ted went to Buffy's school before Buffy went to Ted's work. And right. those are the equivalents there. That's yes. that's the robot logic equivalent there. Not work and home. <laughs> yeah, go through bedroom doors. Yeah. And then he gives her a really big lecture about her being delusional about goblins and vampires and a slayer. And I have in my notes here, I wrote, you are literally a robot. <laughs> Just, you're, you're a robot. But anyway, to continue on, he basically is okay. He believes that she's delusional, right? She needs mm -hmm. mental help because she believes these things. He's okay with just letting that ride as long as she does what he tells her, tells her to. Mm -hmm. He's just like, I'm going to tell your mom about this if you don't, you know, let me control you. Yeah. From now on. He's like not really concerned about getting her help, even though he believes that she's delusional. She, he's like, you know, do yeah. what I say or I'm going to put yeah. you in a, a mental institution. Well, it's weird because he uses it as a threat to keep yeah. her in line. But I feel like, again, what part of his plan really needs to have Buffy? And so when did he just go straight to instead of waiting for Buffy and setting this trap and having this ultimatum just being like, oh, I can totally use this. Uh, against Buffy to convince Joyce to send her to a mental institute. And but he, why does it matter? Yeah, yeah, right. he totally could because From of the what way. his plan is. Yeah. It doesn't matter what happens to Buffy because, like, his plan is basically to disappear with Joyce. Mm -hmm. Which I, I've got things to mention about that later. Yeah. But that's his plan. So it really doesn't matter what Buffy is or does or where she's at or anything. Yeah, it's just. He's fixated on Buffy so much as if Buffy has to comply in order for his plan to work. But Buffy doesn't have to be involved at all. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, he makes this threat and then starts to leave with her diary and Buffy doesn't let him. And then he strikes her and Buffy says, I was so hoping you'd do that. And then all of that pent-up aggression just gets unleashed on Ted. This is something where I think... From Buffy's POV, what happens and what the presumed result of it does carry weight. I think as the audience, we're already so comfortable with the show and how the show works that we're just like, okay, Ted's going to come back in some way and it's, and Buffy's not going to actually be responsible for killing a human being. But right. Buffy unleashing her slayer strength against a normal mortal man or presumed as such. I do wonder, because when he hits her a couple of times, it feels like she should have some inkling that that's not a normal human punch. Because but, he's so strong. Yeah. yeah. But there's also the shock value afterwards that could mm -hmm. override that memory because she's just in the heat of the moment and doesn't really feel the punches or think about how strong they are compared to what a human punch would feel like. But yeah, she, she just unleashes everything on Ted, beats him down the hall, and then eventually knocks him down the stairs. And that's when Joyce runs to check his pulse and says, you killed him. And then we have more cops in a single scene than I well, think we've ever seen in any of Buffy prior. <laughs> yes. I have issues with Joyce's reaction here. <laughs> she follows him down the stairs, or like goes down the stairs, and she picks up his wrist and holds it for half a second and says, you, you killed him. Like, she doesn't even attempt to see if he's breathing. She doesn't hold his wrist long enough to actually take a pulse she doesn't try to revive him which i feel like would be the next move 
And then she looks at her teenage daughter and says, you killed him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just every single thing about this is wrong. <laughs> All of it is wrong. Just in so many ways. Well, and also... Although, to, to, to give her credit, the EMTs apparently in this town are not smart enough to know that this is not an actual human body. Yeah, that's what I was about to so, say. I'm just saying. Honestly, like, there's no way that they would have carted that body as long as they did and not been like, something's wrong here. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, does it even weigh as much as a normal body does? Because, like, it's all mechanical parts and stuff. Yeah, it either... I mean... It could weigh way more. It could weigh way less. It could weigh about the same. But there's no way it feels quite the same. Like if you're, well, I mean, if you're is- a professional enough to like understand what to feel for, like properly. Like there's no way that that like if you were checking a pulse on a robot that it would feel right. <laughs> I don't know. Joyce, I mean, it felt fine to Joyce. Yeah, but Joyce isn't an expert in that field. A paramedic well, I mean, should the be. Took him to the morgue. So I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I was Listen, he was down on the ground and not moving. You know, he's dead. <laughs> okay. Um, so the detective starts questioning them. And Joyce, this is her redeeming thing during this episode. Her one redeeming thing. The detective asks her what happened. And she says he fell. He fell down the stairs. Mm-hmm. She it does not sell Buffy out. She is like, I'm going to protect my daughter. And I'm just like, yay, Joyce. Finally, you do something motherly. Mm-hmm. You know. But then Buffy is Buffy. And she confesses that she hit him and he fell down the stairs. Yeah. And they take her to the police station. And I feel like this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I feel like. The police and possibly a social worker would interview Buffy and her mother at the house because this was a case of domestic violence. <laughs> yeah. You know? This is this is not let's go to the interrogation room. Right. With this minor by herself and no lawyer or parent present at all. <laughs> right. And I mean the the interview with the police officer, the parts of it we see seem pretty standard except for Buffy says that he hit her. The detective says where. Buffy points to her cheek. And the detective then says, it doesn't look like he hit you very hard. Mm-hmm. And in my notes for this one, I just have WTF with a giant question mark. <laughs> like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, it's almost like, let's just take every single scenario that ever existed for victim blaming and stuff them all into this Mm -hmm. one episode of Buffy. Yeah. Like all of them. Uh, yeah. It cuts to Joyce and she's asking, are, are you charging her? And they said that they have nothing against Buffy at this time and basically insinuate that if she was struck, it was self-defense and they'll continue to investigate. And then there's this, I think really kind of beautifully acted moment of them just riding in the car that's completely silent. Like, this is the thing, like, tonally, this is really well acted and performed. And, like, it's heavy stuff, and you can kind of feel what Buffy's going through, even though the weight of Buffy feeling this guilt, you're just like, even if, and we know Mm -hmm. it's gonna be a demon. We know it's gonna come back in some way. It's gonna be something, you know, that's the way that you're viewing this. But even if... Buffy just welled on this guy that's just a guy. 
you're still just like, nah. <laughs> yeah. He was the worst. <laughs> but mm -hmm. just the way people are acting around Ted and the way that Ted acted around Buffy, there's no way that you can watch this scene and be fully invested in it the way that the show, I think, wants you to be invested in it. And I think yeah. that's a tonal imbalance here. Yeah, it is. This, however, is the first time that we get to see her wear the I'm upset overalls. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite. Um, yes, she enters the school. Um, everyone is talking about her, including faculty. But it's weird because the way that this is all structured... Like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't fully understand what the, what the general public knows. Because in the paper it ran that he fell. So are they talking about her, like, in sympathy? But Buffy... Or maybe the paper says that it, he fell after he was hit. I don't know. Like, Willow says that it just says that he fell um, mm -hmm. later on. But Buffy feels like they're, they're looking at her like she killed him. But there's also, in her in, head? there's also investigators there. So maybe the school is picking up on the fact that there's an investigation going on. And so there's more to the story than he fell. I don't know. And like, maybe these two teachers also were asked about Buffy. Yeah. And so that's why they're staring at her. Yeah. Not very professional of them. Oh, but. yeah. It's all awful. Like, but it's just, it's a weird, like, I don't know why they're looking at Buffy. Like, I don't know how what the general knowledge is. Like, clearly people no. know stuff. And clearly Buffy's not just imagining people staring at her. Though there could be a way of... But I think they would have shot it slightly differently if it had been just Buffy's imagining. Like, you have that similar hallway scene where she's first hears about the Order of Taraka and is paranoid. And that's shot in a way where... Buffy feels threatened by everybody, but nobody there is real threatening. In this, it doesn't really feel like that. It feels like it's shot in such a way that this is actually happening. This isn't in Buffy's head. Uh, everybody is staring her down as she enters the school. Mm -hmm. And in the I'm upset overall. In the I, uh, yeah. I, I, maybe that's just it. Maybe they're all looking at her because they're just like, man, we got to get a pair of those. Possibly. But I never really fully understood, like, what's what's the consensus in, like, the rumor mill? Like, do they think that Buffy killed the killed this guy? Do they just know that this guy died in Buffy's house, so they're staring at Buffy? You know, Willow's one of Buffy's closest friends, so you would think that if anyone was to, to like, overhear a, a rumor or get whispered something, it would be Willow, because that's how gossip works a lot of times. But Willow has to ask Buffy, like it says, the paper says, that he fell. So it seems like the general school um, just thinks that he fell, but then Buffy's talking about, like, everybody's, everybody thinks I killed him um, yeah. later on. So it's just, it's a weird, like, I don't really understand. Um, well, and then there's so much guilt that she has about it, and is like, well, I can't do this, you know. Unless they're dating my mom, you know, because mm -hmm. she got angry. But they all act like they forget that he was beating her up. Yeah. He was, he didn't, he, well, he knew that she was the slayer. But he didn't believe it. Yeah, and or knew he what was that beating even. her up. She, yeah. It was self-defense. It's like they all forget that it was self-defense. Well, and I don't think, I think Buffy doesn't communicate that very well here. She explains that she lost her temper. 
That's what she says. I lost my temper. But, I mean, there's already been threats and other signs that, that they could have been like, well, did he do something? And encourage the conversation in a way that was more positive than what they did. But Xander just kind of asks, what was he? Um, and there is a tiny She-Mantis reference here, because he says giant bug. Um, so, <laughs> there is oh, that. Oh, yeah, we to add that to our counters. <laughs> um, but she doesn't answer, and he, he just goes, oh, God. Like, you know, but he doesn't ever frame it like, well, then what did he do? You know, it's not like... Because, obviously, a human can also be a terrible person <laughs> and can do something to have prompted Buffy to hit him. Um, but they never ask that question. They just ask, what supernatural being was he? And when she says, oh, he was just a person, they never really think about the next part of that conversation. It's like, well, what did he do to you? You know, and I feel like mm -hmm. that that would have been the part of the conversation where they could have offered something that would have been healing to Buffy. Buffy wasn't going to admit that, I, I mm -hmm. don't think, unless she was asked point blank about it. Because Buffy is just burdened by that guilt. Because she has such an advantage physically that she she felt like she acted out of line even though she was struck first but it's it's also harmful because since we are ones to put ourselves in Buffy's shoes and since this is a show for young girls primarily you know it is it is enjoyed by many audiences uh but it's it's market demographic when it first aired was teenage girls and you have this moment where buffy was assaulted and then attacks back defends herself and then frames herself as the villain and that is a terrible message to present yes. to your audience i agree 100 percent. that's why i'm just like the whole time i'm like this was self-defense mm-hmm so, Buffy leaves, um, and Giles catches her in the hall and asks how she is and then realizes that's a stupid question. I'm really upset with the lack of Giles' interaction with Buffy in all of this. Yeah. <laughs> like, Giles is the worst in this episode. <laughs> He's just kind of neglectful. In the yeah, but holy crap. I mean, Giles, more than anybody, I feel like, should be checking in on Buffy. Because he has the full context. Way more. Because he has the adult perspective. He has the male perspective. He has the guardian perspective. He has the watcher perspective. Like, he has all of these oh, perspectives yeah. that would directly make him the best person to talk to Buffy about this scenario. And he just gives up. He just doesn't really bother. He, try, he starts here, and then when it doesn't quite go his way, he's like, well, I'm going to go and patrol. Even though I have a direct instance in which I did something that caused the death of somebody else in my life and have all of this insight and things that I could share with Buffy and talk with Buffy through this horrible experience that she's going through. I'm going to let her deal with it. All I'll just let own. her deal with it. <laughs> yeah. It's awful. I hate it. <laughs> While he's like getting ready to patrol and stuff, the, the conversation between Xander, Cordelia, and Willow, where they're just kind of trying to figure out anything that will help Buffy. Mm -hmm. Xander is very negative about it. Mm -hmm. Cordelia mentions that Buffy should have separate rules from other people. <laughs> and Willow points out that that's uh, fascist. And Cordelia's like, okay, well, let's do that. 
<laughs> I, I, literally, I literally paused and I was like, oh, no, it's too real. It's too real. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Too real right now. Um, uh, yeah. Giles. This is, this is again, Giles' lovely contributing factor. He's just like, the police can't hurt her more than she's hurting herself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, then why aren't you like with her helping her? If you know that right now, all she's doing is basically self-inflicting mental torment on herself. Why wouldn't you be there for her? Right. He has no influence. He hasn't had any of Ted's goods. <laughs> this is just straight Giles. Yeah, and it's 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 not, it doesn't seem like Giles. Yeah. I think this episode would have worked more if instead of having the stuff with Giles and Jenny at the, at the end of it, having just that scene at the beginning... With Giles and Jenny and leaving it at that. And then having Giles and Buffy have a couple of scenes at the end. Where Giles is helping Buffy through this. And Giles is learning more about how he needs to treat Jenny. Based off of Mm -hmm. what's happened with Ted and Joyce. Based on, you know, once everything's revealed, have a moment where... There's like a scene between Buffy or Giles or something like that where in that moment it's shown that Giles understands that Jenny needs her space and he can't be overbearing because obviously that's bad. Um, Like, I mean, I feel like that would have really redeemed some stuff in this episode for me, but Mm -hmm. it's it didn't go that way. (laughs) Giles just doesn't help Buffy at all. And Jenny goes to apologize to Giles for saying that she needs space. (laughs) Um, it's bad. Yeah. Uh, Giles leaves and Cordelia and Willow continue talking about Ted. And Willow's like, he, he's like citizen of the year. He's got no record. And Xander says, don't sweat it. Everything will be fine. And they're all like, wait a second. You were just being really negative. And he starts saying like cliche, don't worry, be happy type things. Those aren't what he says, but type things. And Willow kind of looks at him and grabs the cookie he's eating kind of studying it like but like willow has realized there's something in the food mm-hmm. then we cut to back to buffy's house and joyce is in the kitchen cleaning out pots and pans yeah just old dishware again this is so well done acting wise mm-hmm. like when buffy says i didn't mean to hurt him and her voice cracks and you can just tell that she's been constantly crying it's it's so well done do you have homework i didn't mean to hurt him i don't want to talk about this mom please you have to know i can't not yet please buffy just go to your room i i hate that these performances were wasted on this episode (laughs) well and here's my issue with this they spend like everyone spends the first half of the episode treating Buffy like she's a toddler and now they want to treat her like she's middle age. Yeah. Like Joyce just, just deal with your own Buffy crap. You don't need to talk to her mom about it. at all. No. <laughs> yeah, Buffy needs to talk to her mom about it and she's just like, "No, go to your room. I can't talk to you right now." Yeah. And it's just like, "What why are you not helping your kid? She literally killed someone." Mhm. Talk to her. Yeah. But no, you know, now she's not five. Now she's 35 yeah. and can handle everything on her own. Yeah. 
so we we cut back to the school and um again there's no security at the school and no one cares that teenagers are doing science experiments in the middle of the night but willow and xander are in the chemistry lab doing stuff and she has discovered there is a tranquilizer in the food mm-hmm. and xander's like that's evidence then cordelia comes in and says your search hit pay dirt we have personal records, marriage certificates, and an address. And Xander says, let's go check out the address. And then here's the scene that you really enjoy. Oh, with yeah. And Jenny it's so great. The, uh, it's so great. It makes me so happy. Now, here's the thing. Jenny comes to apologize to Giles while he's patrolling and literally says the words, I know how bad you must feel about putting me in danger. <laughs> which I find a little frustrating because it's not like she didn't know since last year that he is a watcher in charge of a slayer whose job it is to fight evil yeah i mean like it's not a surprise to her that there's demons and vampire stuff and stuff around i mean this particular one was his fault yeah but was directly could tied have just to his past yeah but easily been one that possessed her just that wasn't his fault Yeah, and I want to remove it from some of the more nuanced things. And I just want to look at that (coughs) sentence alone. And that somebody wrote that sentence, looked at it, and thought, yeah, that makes sense. That I know how bad you must feel about putting me in danger. I mean, that's just a terrible thing to, to put out there. That you have to apologize to someone who puts you in danger because they feel bad about it. Yeah. I just don't like it. I don't like it. It completely run 80s Jenny from the beginning of the episode. And I thought she was so strong in that scene earlier where she was just like, no, I have to stand up for how I'm feeling right now and understand that I don't owe you anything. And that's the truth. She doesn't owe Giles anything. She can refuse to talk to him for the rest of their lives, and that's fine. That is her decision, and she can she can own that. She does not owe Giles an apology for any of the things that she's done in reaction to what has happened to her. But especially the fact that she feels like she needs to apologize because she was harsh to him in saying, hey, I still need space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, just, I don't. I don't like it. Yeah, um, I don't either. I, I, I feel like we've dwelled on this enough so we can just move on. <laughs> yeah. Buffy's in her room, and she decides she's through with this, so she goes to open the window, and it's nailed shut. She blames it on her mom, but it could have very well been Ted. I'm not really sure. Uh, I think it was probably probably Ted. Yeah, because, well, she just says, can't get any worse. And Ted comes up, where was he? <laughs> yeah, like, hiding <laughs> under her bed? Like, yeah, he just, because he doesn't come from the door. She's been he in that room from a while. in her room. <laughs> so Buffy confronts him saying you died and he's like that's right little lady you killed me. Do you have something to say about that? Are we sorry? Oh, I'm like oh my gosh they're back he's back to treat her like she's five. Or to be fair Ted treated her like she was five the whole time. Yeah he's been consistent. Uh, yeah. He ends up hitting her so hard she flies across the room and keeps walking toward her like he's going to keep hitting on her. And then he says that he had to shut down for a little while. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a clue there. Um, then we're back in the park with Giles and Jenny and they're fighting a vampire. Mm-hmm. 
And Giles tells Ginny to look in her bag, his bag, and she gets the crossbow out. And which I'm just going to go ahead with the Giles and Ginny scene, so we're not going back and forth yeah. the whole time. Basically, she's trying to get a shot while Giles is fighting the vampire, and uh, she tries for a little while, and then finally gets a shot, and then they trade places, and she ends up shooting Giles. Mm-hmm. And the vampire lets go of him and starts laughing. Yes. At her, at which point Giles pulls the arrow out of his side and slams it into the vampire, staking the yeah, vampire. Which is amazing. And oh, like, yeah, it's a really cool only move. real cool thing Giles does in this episode. But yeah, that it's is a really cool so move. awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jenny and Giles are talking to each other, and Jenny's like, I'm so sorry. And he says, I'm all right. It's because I have layers of tweed. <laughs> which is so funny. <laughs> it's better yeah, than Kevlar. <laughs> They start saying they're going to get him to the hospital. So they start going to the hospital. And I'm just like, and explain this how. <laughs> like, this, honestly, what this group needs is like its own doctor. Uh, yeah. Like, well, when you watch crime, like, shows about crime groups on TV and stuff, they always have that one doctor who's willing to treat them off the books. Uh-huh. That's what the Scooby gang needs, is its own doctor. <laughs> I also, like, I have problems, not as much with anything to do with, uh, gender inequality or anything like that. But just the concept here that what brings Giles and Ginny back together is fighting through a dangerous situation together. When in yeah. fact, what ripped them apart was the fact that they were in a dangerous situation together. <laughs> mm-hmm. She even talks earlier about like, yeah, I've had like three whole weeks without being in any life-threatening situations. It's been nice. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, well, maybe you should reconsider <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're back in Buffy's room and Buffy and Ted continue fighting and she grabs a uh, fingernail file and stabs him in the arm, mm-hmm. which kind of cuts his arm open. And oh my gosh, it's not blood. No. It's mechanical parts. He's, He's a, a robot. robot. <laughs> and apparently it messes something up because he starts glitching and saying weird things. And then he... Kind of hits, he hears Joyce downstairs and punches Buffy so she's unconscious and he leaves and locks the door. So he's locked Buffy in her room mm-hmm. and left to go find Joyce. And then we cut to the rest of the Scooby gang and they are breaking into a mechanical shop, which is Ted's address. Um, they look around and Cordelia notices that this rug does not go with the rest of the decorations so they move the rug and it's a trap door yes they go down the trap door and they are in a very 50 style house that when they turn the lights on uh 50s music starts playing feels like home if it's the 50s and you're a psycho and then xander goes directly to a closet for some reason mm-hmm. and opens it closes it and tells everybody it's time to go yeah they're like, we need evidence. And he says, we got it. And Willow says, what's in there? And he said, his first four wives. Now, before we go back to Ted and Joyce and the conversation that they have and, and you know, the conclusion of the episode. So what we're supposed to assume is that Ted found these wives and mm-hmm. he brought each one down to his apartment in a, under a mechanical shop, which I guess is where he worked on himself. And he lived, you know, down the trap door. And basically held them hostage there until they died as his wife. Mm -hmm. And then went and found another one. Yeah. Okay. 
let's say that this has succeeded with Joyce. And he disappears with her to his apartment. I'm assuming Buffy would report her missing. And the police would search for her and find his address mm-hmm. that Willow found very easily. And go there and find him and Joyce. So, how did he get away with this four times? Yeah. Like, how was he successful with this four times in the same place? Well, there's also... Like, did these women not know any other people? Yeah. Ever? I don't, like, there's also, like, a bunch of weird stuff with Ted that doesn't really make sense as far as why does he have the job he has. I mean, that job didn't exist for the original Ted back in the 50s. I mean, yeah, he's, selling, and all- he's selling computer software, so yeah. it's not the same job that he's been in all of his life kind of deal. So, And also, you've been around the same age since the 50s, and you're a robot. Why are you not rich? He probably is. He just has very basic needs. Oh, well, he's making tons of bank. He's got all those sales. But, like, why, why does he have a job? Why is he as public? As he is. Like, it's just, it seems like it's set up doomed to fail. And you're right. Like, it shouldn't have lasted as long as it did. Especially in the same area. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% sure if this is accurate. But it seems like he's supposed to have basically just been in this one spot this entire time. Exactly. (laughs) Like, he would be found. But anyone who reported his new wife missing. And it's not like he was keeping quiet about what he's doing. He told his work he was getting married. Yeah, like he was just like, he had a picture of his next victim on his desk. Right. And then like, they saw a news story where this woman has been reported missing. They're like, oh. (laughs) Hey, Ted. The next day, Ted comes into work. Hey, Ted, isn't this your new wife? (laughs) Like, it makes no sense how he would have gotten away with it. And if he did it this way every single time, how he ever got away with it. Mm -hmm. So we're in Buffy's house and... Joyce is in the kitchen. She's, you know, doing stuff and she hears something behind her and she starts to say, Buffy, I'm sorry. Uh, I told, I know you. And I'm assuming she said didn't mean to because that's what she should have said originally. Um, mm-hmm. And she turns around and it's Ted. And they go through the whole, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You know, he's like, yeah, it's a miracle. Uh, I was unconscious for a day. And uh, then an intern found me. And Joyce starts telling him that, you know, I, I swear she, Buffy never meant to hurt you. You have to believe me. And Ted says, you don't have to worry about Buffy. You don't have to worry about anything. Daddy's here. Mm-hmm. And Joyce hugs him. <laughs> and I'm like, how is this weird? Because first of all, you've had no recent food with tranquilizer. Mm-hmm. So like, you're doing this on your own now. And second, that is so creepy. Yeah. Like, Daddy's here? Okay, he's not daddy. You are not his (laughs) child, and Buffy is not his child. He's nobody's daddy in this situation. And also, no, you don't tell me that I don't have to worry about my child. This would make more sense if she had been eating his food recently, but she hadn't. Um, Been, like, eating his leftovers. Like, it's all I have left of him. Just sitting at the counter crying and eating cookies. Uh (laughs) Yeah, that would have made more sense. Then he tells her that she brought him back he couldn't go into the light and joyce kind of tells him you know i think i should talk to buffy first and Mm -hmm. he gets annoyed with joyce for the first time yeah do we have to worry about buffy right now how about worrying about teddy he's the one who died and she apologizes Mm -hmm. 
and she apologizes and says she doesn't know what to do. And he says, don't I always tell you what to do? Hey. Then he has a glitch where he turns to the side and says something really weird. And so Joyce finally, finally starts to get that there's something weird about like, Ted. Like, really, yeah. is really convincing yeah, I mean, herself it, it, it took a lot. Yeah. Uh, she tells him he might want to rest. And he gets kind of psychotic with her and is like, I think you want to stop telling me what to do. <laughs> you know, I don't take orders from women. And she's kind of like, you know what? Maybe let's have a drink to celebrate. And he's like, no, we need to go. And uh, she says, well, then I guess I'll pack. And he says, nope. I already have your clothes. They're your size. They're always your size. You left me once, but I keep bringing you back. Husband and wife is forever. Forever. That is genuinely and like creepiest. he's all kinds of creepy now. That's it's the creepiest like, line. Oh yeah. man! Because not like only he is always he, looks for women that are the yeah. exact same size. Yeah, he's not just like pursuing a replacement wife, but he's pursuing a very particular replacement wife, which makes it somehow ten times worse. I don't know why, but it's just like it he, does. He he does. just oh, uh, that but is. But what happens? Like, what happens if once he gets her down in his little 50s apartment of fun, is she gains weight and they don't fit her anymore? Like, does he freak out and replace her again? Or No, like, he just starts feeding her laced salads at then instead of laced oh, cookies. I guess so. Yeah, because a lot of his stuff has to do with food. She might gain weight down there with absolutely <laughs> nothing to do in that one room. So he grabs her and starts trying to take her out of the house. And she's like, no, let go. Get off me. And he says, fine, I'll carry you, and hits her and knocks her out. Mm -hmm. Then he hears noise, so he starts walking around, and he says, come out, Buffy. I don't stand for this kind of malarkey in my house. And she she sneaks up behind him, and she goes, Uncle Teddy. And he turns around, and she hits him in the face with a frying pan and says, this house is mine. Mm -hmm. And I love it. It's the best line. I also enjoy the touch. I don't think I've noticed this before, but I noticed it this viewing. That is the same cast iron pan that he's cooking in at the beginning of the episode. Oh, was it really? Yeah. She beats him with yeah. the cast iron pan that makes his mini pizzas so good. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Because I always thought, a pan's a weird choice. A pan's a weird choice. And then I was thinking, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Then she hits him again. And basically, like, his face is falling apart. And you can mm. see that he's a robot. Yeah. Yeah, she takes him out. And then we yeah. cut to uh, Buffy and Joyce on the porch. And Joyce suggests mm -hmm. renting a movie, but just no horror or romance or men, um, which I agree with. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm right there with you, Joyce. Now, uh, Joyce talks a little bit. Again, mm -hmm. she'd be way more concerned than she is. <laughs> I agree. And, like, she, it, we kind of get the impression that she does, has not been told that Ted was a robot. Yeah. And which he, that's not really a supernatural thing. So I guess, and they could have told her. Yeah. Um, I'm not really and they sure also, if they just like, if everybody just assumes that he's on the lamb, like if the police, and, yeah. like if they hid, if Buffy hid the, the robot body and just yes. said that he ran off, I assume that's what's done. So like, Joyce I think should they be, destroyed it. Joyce should be like, super paranoid for the rest that of he's her coming life back for the right. rest of her life she should have so much ptsd that it should just be never ending right because she says especially after what the police found in his house yeah they know so about like, the she other she knows four. he was a serial killer yeah and she thinks he's a real person and he's like on the run now yes so like 
she she should be more scared than she is. <laughs> yeah. For her and Buffy. Yes. Because now she knows he was trying to, you know, hurt Buffy. Yeah. They, um, they then, should be relocating. They should be under, like, protection programs. There should be all kinds of stuff happening that don't happen. <laughs> yeah. And then we're at school the next day, and it's all four. is Cordelia, Xander, Buffy, and Willow. And this is where Cordelia is just casually hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they basically are summing everything up and... Willow mentions that there were design features in the robot that predate, and I guess she's going to say predate when Ted was alive. Mm -hmm. And Buffy asks if Willow kept any of the parts, and Willow says, not any big ones. So they destroyed him. Mm -hmm. Because she says, I didn't keep any big parts. And like she probably kept all of them. Yeah. Um, I also enjoy the line where Buffy says that, you need to use your power for good. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah. Very much foreshadowing. Woof. So, <laughs> and then Buffy says, um, the whole thing's something I want to forget. Let's pick up where we left off. And then she starts to go in the library and then turns around and backs out and says, do I have to blow sound an air horn every time I enter a room? Mm-hmm. And we go into the, look through the window of the library and it's Jill's and Jill's. <laughs> Jules, Is that I like their that ship one. name? <laughs> yeah, that's their new name, Jules. It's Giles and Jenny, and they are in the library making out. And the end. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Buffy at being angry at this situation. I'm angry at Giles and Jenny making out in this as well. Um. <laughs> I like the Jules name, though. Yeah, yeah that was good. <laughs> So, yeah, this is a terrible episode, and I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Um, but fortunately, next week we get to look forward to Bad X, which is a wonderful episode and won't upset us at all. Uh, Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> I, would You're never, being sarcastic I would never be sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bad X is not as bad as Ted. Not much is, but Bad X isn't great either. <laughs> I'm ready. I were to get through Bad Eggs, and then we have Surprise, yes, that's the, which is a good episode. Yes, yes, I'm so ready. Yeah. All right, thank you all so much for listening, and this is where we say bye. Bye. Bye.